The weather this week has once again been glorious. Really makes you want to get off Zoom and get outside. People all around DFW are grabbing their clubs and heading out to try to get in at least nine holes. Yep, golf season is here. And Sandy Cross, the Chief People Officer of the PGA of America, joins us. You'll hear Sandy talk about how she built her career from a temporary job at the PGA to becoming one of its leaders. And we're going to learn all about the new PGA Frisco development, soon to become the new home of American golf. Marty Turco joins us, one of the most beloved stars ever, and now the president of the Dallas Stars Foundation. He's going to talk about why Dallas athletes not only tend to stay in the area after retirement, but the important role they end up playing in North Texas philanthropy and you are not going to want to miss the story he tells about an infamous prank that became known as the San Jose job. And finally, the voice of the Mavericks, Mark Folliwell, will talk a little Mavs heading into the stretch run, a little Luca, and he has a surprising answer to the question about what he's been downloading or not this week. So let's drop the needle and let's go. Welcome to the Mike Drop Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, and our next level intern, Marcus Carr. Monica, we got March Madness underway. I hope your bracket is filled out and ready to go. Before we get to that, uh, we know the women's final four is slated to return to Dallas in two years. How's planning going for that? Well, we've... Uh... Not a lot of planning uh, up until this point. We know the NCAA is uh, working uh, very digitally in uh, San Antonio. Um, they're actually hosting all of the tournament uh, from a women's side. Uh, but after this year's Final Four, we look to engage and uh, we'll start uh, um, getting our logo and start to be able to market. Uh, I think there's something special for 2023 uh, in terms of the 50-year anniversary of, of Title IX, so a lot of women's programming, a lot of outreach to different clubs and women's organizations, and we really want this to, to be special. We, I think we've got a rich history for basketball for women and, and girls here uh, and really look to amplify that and grow. And um, So excited to get that going. Uh, we were very successful in 2017, and uh, 2023 uh, we want to be even bigger and better. If not for the pandemic, there would have been NCAA men's tournament uh, games this weekend at American Airlines Center. What do you think of a makeup call from the NCAA to, on that one uh, in, in uh, the next few years? Well, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a few NCAA guests here on the podcast and we can definitely ask them directly. But uh, I think there's been some chatter between uh, other cities and really hoping that, uh, OK, what does 2027 uh, look like and beyond uh, from a bid standpoint? Uh, we know from a men's standpoint, uh, actually Fort Worth has a first and second round next year um, over at Dickey's Arena. Uh, we have a 2024 men's regional. Uh, the last time we hosted a men's regional was 2013, and our regional in 2024 will be at the American Airlines Center, so very excited about that. Uh, but yes, uh, interested for the next bid cycle. Uh, NCAA men's Final Four would be great. Uh, we last hosted in 2014, so Really hoping uh, to put our best foot forward and be successful this uh, this next time around because uh, we know the DFW region really enjoys and embraces uh, men's and women's basketball. Well, let's get them on the mic drop and now uh, we can make the case for uh, why why Dallas would be a great spot for uh, to bring back the NCAA men's tournament too. The uh, speaking of the of the men's uh, tournament, uh, we got a little bit of an intra. Uh, mic drop team rivalry here and that my beloved Purdue Boilermakers are facing off against Marcus's uh, UNT Mean Green. So Marcus, you want to get a little wager down here or what are you thinking? Sully, let me tell you one thing. The UNT Mean Green Eagles won the CBI two years ago. We technically made the tournament last year by winning the conference. Didn't get our chance to go dancing. We're going dancing this year. It's a final four year for the Mean Green. I'm telling you right now. I'm calling it. Hold on, Marcus. Now, now that is a. <laughs> I have a question, Marcus. Uh, so you're saying the Mean Green is winning the entire final four, or just going to be no, they, in the final four? We are going to be in the final four. It's a Cinderella story. Okay, got it, got it. Well, you know, we had Abner Haynes on a few weeks ago on the mic drop. We're fans of uh, UNT athletics here at the mic drop, but, but, but uh, Marcus, you're, you're going down. Our baby boilers uh, 
are gonna are gonna take you down. I don't know what'll happen after that with maybe Villanova lurking for us, but we'll we'll see. Uh, and, and that would that was a mic drop moment when Marcus you know made with that bold prediction. The other mic drop moment this week was boxing promoter Eddie Hearn kind of hinting. It sounds like uh, AT and T Stadium could be the venue for the for the uh, Canelo Alvarez Billy Joe Saunders fight on on May eighth that Cinco de Mayo weekend. It would be a super middleweight title unification bout. This is a big deal. Alvarez, of course, 55, 1 and 2, 27 knockouts. Saunders undefeated at, at 30 and 0 with 14 knockouts. So, Monica, the ATT Stadium has hosted some big fights in, in recent years, but this feels like it would be a pretty big deal. How, how big would this be? Yeah, this would be a great opportunity for ATT Stadium. They've hosted a lot uh, in, in the past. Uh, this is a sign that one sports are being able to come back, and uh, you know people are willing to attend sporting events coming out of a COVID um, year. Um, there's also been a lot of uh, other boxing matches here within the Metroplex, so I think the more we can uh, build upon that uh, and get people traveling, uh, obviously it's a benefit for our residents to be able to get out and about and attend sporting events again, but also the travel factor and uh, and welcoming guests and. Uh, international audience at the, at the same time that is very interested and passionate about these types of events. Well, let's hope it happens. Uh, back with Marty Turco in a minute. First, let's hear from Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, are you tired of nights in binge watching your spouse's or quarantine partner's favorite shows or waiting for the delivery service to bring you a lukewarm meal? Let's bring hot dogs and cold brews back. How? Hockey's back. That's right. Your Dallas Stars. Remember them? Western Conference champs last year? Well, they're back and they're bringing the heat to the AAC ice while on their quest to bring the Stanley Cup back to Dallas. And the best part? Fans are welcome. Yep, dreams come true. So visit DallasStars.com today for all the best ticket deals and schedule information. Thanks, Rachel. Really pleased to be joined by Marty Turco. 11-year career in the NHL, three-time All-Star, uh, nine years with the Stars, one of the most popular players. Of course, the winningest goalie, in, in club history. Now he also won two championships, two NCAA championships at Michigan. So we're gonna get into that a little bit too. Uh, today, Marty is the president of the Dallas Stars Foundation. Marty, thanks for joining us. What's up? Hey Marty, how are you doing? I'm great, how are you? I'm great. Well, um, I think a, a lot of our listeners and actually all of Dallas really know what the Stars do on the ice and are familiar with them, but I think some sometimes people forget that uh, you also have uh, uh, the Stars Foundation and the great work that you do here within the community. So can you share a little bit uh, with us and our listeners about what does the Stars Foundation do and, uh, and how do they benefit the city of Dallas? Uh, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity, um, you know, to talk about it because we do a lot of great things. And, and you're right. A lot of people do know uh, the great things we do on the ice, um, Stanley Cup playoff sound like a finals run last year two games to win away from winning the cup uh what we did in 1999 and 2000 uh to set up the legacy of hockey here in north texas uh, you know still lives on today and the great teams we've had uh between now and then uh have certainly helped but um you know stars foundation was created you know in the late 90s and uh, has continually continuously grown um to be a big difference maker you know, in our community, and uh, I probably don't have enough time to talk about all the great things that we've done historically. I've got to see it uh, as a player, um, the wonderful things we do to, with the kids, our health programs, uh, all of our community relationships through the years, and now to be able to, you know, kind of put my thumb on it a little bit, to help drive some policy, make a big difference, uh, raise a lot of great money for a lot of great uh, uses throughout our community has been awesome. You know, the health and education programs that we run at the Dallas Stars Foundation um, have been pivotal pivotal to uh, big, making a difference uh, in the community. It's one of the focuses we have here uh, as a Dallas Stars Foundation. So we're, we're kind of, you know, in, in some aspects, a very typical sports uh, foundation where we develop and create our own programs and see through it and, and pay for them. Uh, we also partner, have community partners with a lot of other great nonprofits um, throughout the community that, uh, you know, we raise money maybe through our raffle 50, 50, or through our fundraisers, like the Lucchese boots and blade gala, um, our casino night that's been going on for a few decades. Um, and we got some new stuff. We've got a golf tournament may, uh, first one ever we're going to do at TPC Craig ranch. And so those monies go towards community tickets that we give to a lot of nonprofits, 
uh, a lot of veterans that we have, uh, you know, come to our games or people who just uh, in need. Um, <clears throat> one of the bigger things we've done in the last couple of years when we had the Winter Classic at the Great Cotton Bowl, which was such Woo-hoo! an awesome event. We've had such great feedback of it, um, you know, but as great as the, as the, uh, the game of the Cotton Bowl was, um, you know, and, uh, something that came along with it was a project that's uh, known as Legacy Project that uh, every NHL team has to do, but we took it to the next level, you know, like we do at the Dallas Stars Foundation. And we ended up partnering with the St. Philip School Community Center um, down there just off Martin Luther Boulevard on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, really about just over a mile from the Cotton Bowl itself and uh, an amazing school and a great uh, community leader uh, overseen by Dr. Terry Flowers. And uh, we partnered with them. We, we decided to give them $2 million, uh, two million bucks over a uh, five-year span to really get in the trenches, to understand what they need, to help them build their sports complex, uh, to work with them on a weekly basis with a food pantry that serves uh, the community uh, in the area. A reading program where players have dipping down there, reading, visiting classrooms, uh, playing ball hockey. Uh, you know, introducing this the, the game to uh, to the students. It's uh, it's K through six. Uh, every kid that's uh, gone to school there in the last number of years has went on to go to college and um, you know been really prosperous in that angle. So we've partnered with a tremendous school, and we look forward to doing more too. And it's just not. Uh, like that obviously our players are a big part of it they're very philanthropic just like the rest of north texas is uh giving to their each and individual causes one that we helped create was a friends and fins program um you know the fins we got a lot of finished players on our team they're they're uh they're young you know essa lindell amiro haskinen rope hansi uh you know and others but those three have really stepped up and uh you know we give away money for uh, hockey scholarships whether it's equipment ice time um, just getting kids out there, you know, boys and girls alike to, to learn and understand the game, to appreciate it, um, but just to get out there and try it. And so, uh, as you can tell, there's there's a lot of things that we do do. Um, and we're very proud of our difference makers, which uh, are volunteers. We have over 700 uh, now, just over the last couple of years, accumulated them. <clears throat> and these difference makers join us. They haven't been able to during uh, the global pandemic. But I think next month is we're going to start them back up of uh, getting out to ev- events um outside you know under the under the right protocol but uh we've had tremendous fan base and uh it's no different at the foundation we've got tremendous volunteers uh that come out and help us out you know we've done habitat for humanity projects uh food drives homeless shelters uh and a lot of things in between so uh as you can tell like i said there's a lot of things that we do do um you know raising money is a big part of, of what i do to continue to make a big difference in our community but uh, it certainly goes well and beyond that from our players, our staff, our whole organization and, uh, and our sponsors too. You know, they, they all, when they sign up to give money into uh, on the profit side of it, uh, there's not one partner that we have that doesn't care about the community and they all want to be part of it. And that's part of our job is to make sure that, you know, their funds and their name go uh, to helping create great programs or uh, to help partnering with a lot of the great initiatives that are based here right in North Texas. Well, well, Marty, I couldn't agree with you more. The I think it's very important for a lot of our all of our professional teams to really give back to the community, and I think uh, the Stars do a great job of that. And I, I'm going to echo that uh, that Winter Classic was uh, was uh, pretty special, and I, I don't think it's any uh, secret to the NHL that uh, we we want one of those back again, and uh, actually some other uh, you know hockey and uh, NHL events. But you mentioned uh, a lot of our professional teams and the stars during the pandemic and, and the effects that they had on those, but uh, that, that, that your foundation was, was still successful and still working through, through COVID. Uh, how, how did the COVID pandemic uh, affect the foundation? Well, it, it affected us in many ways, you know, um, negatively, you know, fundraising, you know, went away. Uh, essentially, we, you know, making the money at games with our 50, 50 raffle to, just our one-off vendors and the opportunity to get in front of people and tell them the great work we do. So that, that's probably the biggest, biggest impact on the, on the, on the bad side, but to, you know, positively, um, you know, at the beginning, we we're able to get enough money to help um, supplement some of the income from our American airlines center employees, um, you know, that couldn't work. And um, you know, we wanted to help them out as best we could. And, you know, so, so we, we try to do our part at the beginning um, to, to keep the regular checks coming in. So that was right, right at the beginning, um, to do that. And, uh, you know, after that is, you know, staff was, 
uh, you know, we didn't have the regular staff, not even close to it. So it's hard to administer our programs and stuff. So just getting out there to get the word on the street, um, was, that was, that was the biggest thing of what we were doing, but, um, you know, we're, we're all back in the office. We're back playing hockey and, and, uh, kind of piggyback off a great Stanley cup run that we did have. And we never really got a chance to have a honeymoon either with that winter classic <laughs> that you're alluding to. So we're, um, uh, you know, we're trying to just do our best. And so, like I said, May 24th, we're going to have our first ever golf tournament at TPC Craig ranch and, to, uh, you know, raise some good money to help get back into the community. Uh, most recently, you know, we've, uh, you know, we kicked off a, a new initiative too. um, to with Bank of Montreal and BMO has really stepped up and they decided to uh, help uh, give $5,000 to minority owned businesses across uh, North Texas that we identified. And, and during February, we did four and uh, really four good ones uh, every month moving forward. Rest of the season, we're going to highlight another one. And, uh, you know, there's been some places that I've known, some places that um, that I've never been to. And so it was, you know, the plant project was it was it was a fun one. And, you know, Smoke John's was a, Smoke John's was, a, was another great one. And so um, those are things that we've been able to do just uh, that are new um, to go with, uh, you know, the protocol within which we're living during these, these crazy times of a, a global pandemic, but uh, it doesn't really stop there. So um, there's always a lot of little, little wins along the way that, you know, foundation we don't promote or talk about, uh, help out people that are in need, whether it's a hockey family, uh, a crisis that's happened. So it's been pretty fun. So Marty, I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And, um, a lot of people always ask, you know, all right, he has the most wins, the most shutouts, the most consecutive games played by a goalie. And I think the list can go on and on and on. What do you consider your bit, biggest accomplishment while you were with the stars? Um, uh, you know, that's a great question. Uh, you know, looking back at a career where, you know, I, I, I was, Drafted 1994, didn't play games till 2000, but uh, playing for the Stars right through that first decade and of the of the century was uh, was just an amazing experience for for my family and I to to live in North Texas, to be the very fabric of the community. So uh, the year that uh, I was named NHL's Foundation Player of the Year was uh, a big humbling honor for me to, you know, we don't do community work for. Um, you know, for the notoriety, you do it because it's what you believe in doing. And uh, I, I truly believe as a professional athlete, that's something that uh, the power you're given. Uh, I'm not saying everybody has to do it. It's just something that was super important to me. And then just on the ice, um, you know, none of those records per se mean anything. Probably just in a, in a wholesome kind of way, uh, being really healthy. Um, and giving my team a chance to win on, on most nights, not all the nights. I know I let a few win and let the team down every now and then. Uh, that's just the nature of the business. But uh, really proud of myself and, and um, you know, uh, making money as a professional athlete and looking at it as uh, the, the mentality that I had was, you know, they're, they're paying me to win hockey games and, um, and not just stop the puck. And uh, just inherently that perspective changed a lot of things for me from how I treated my teammates, the fans, the organization, uh, what kicked the sheets off me, kicked the sheets off every morning, uh, getting out of bed in order to be uh, the best person I can be in order to help the organization become a winner. Um, <clears throat> looking back, really proud of, uh, of, of, of how I, you know, went through my daily business uh, for the most part. Again, not, not perfect by any means, but uh, one foot in front of the other, tried to grow as a, as a goalie, as a human, as a leader and a teammate. Uh, then eventually as a, you know, as a father in the community. So all those things is probably what resonates most with me looking back at, uh, you know, those wins and games played and, and the stuff, but uh, really working my butt off to stay healthy, knowing that was a part of my job um, and it was personal and important to me. Uh, I think that really sets me up uh, for post-career and, and how I look at it and the confidence that I gave and, uh, and allows me to do things in the community that I'm very proud of. Marty Sully here. You're, you're an example of a, of a player who was from somewhere else, came here, played a long time here, and stayed. We see that going back to Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman and Dirk Nowitzki. Why do so many of you stay in Dallas after your playing career? Well, hey, Sully, and that's a great question, you know, and I think the answer is pretty easy, but um, there's just a lot of uh, complex issues that go into it. But, um, you know, anybody that lives in North Texas for whether it's a year or for 20 years, uh, that's not from here. Probably the number one thing we'll all say is it's just a really easy place to live. Um, you know, whether you're in the business community, sports related or not, um, that's second to none. I mean, probably globally, our economy's, uh, you know, really uh, is on top of it. Uh, schools, food, 
you know, every industry, whether it's the arts, sports, um, uh, every facet of business is kind of connected in, in that way. Uh, and even though it can be a fickle town from the sports side of things, um, you know, when you're on top of the world or you're down the bottom, some people just want it here now and there. And that, that kind of comes with a lot of transplants too. But for the most part, uh, it's a great sports city. Um, you know, obviously Dallas Cowboys at the top of that heap, um, really bring attention, notoriety to, the, to this city. Um, but not lost in the shuffle, you know, it's a, it's a great baseball town. Uh, you know, the Mavs, you know, won a championship, you know, almost 10 years ago is, um, you know, it's really helped out, but you know, soccer and, and there's so many other sports that, that are here. It's, it's a, it's a really easy place because, um, you know, for me being a Canadian guy, I love, love the weather and all that, but, uh, it's more importantly, it's about family, about opportunity and it's about like-minded people. And I think North Texans uh, really think a lot when it comes to success, entrepreneurism, uh, deep-rooted business. Uh, and sports and that combination to me is second to none uh, and then probably the thing I'm most proud of when I look around and get a chance to talk uh, uh, boastfully about uh, North Texas is um, how giving they are you know I just prime examples you know uh, North Texas giving day you know where we lead, lead the country every time uh, in our philanthropy efforts and monetarily speaking and so um, you know people just really see um, see it eye to eye when it's given back to their community a lot of people aren't, you know, weren't, weren't born and raised in Texas, weren't even born and raised in North Texas that do live here. I just look around in my neighborhood and uh, that just, you know, it's a proof right there. But uh, everybody really digs in and, and it becomes one community no matter where they're from. So I think it's just uh, easy assimilation, easy living, uh, you know, a, a great place. Um, you know, I'm right now I'm in Florida on vacation with my family. Uh, yeah, I mean, the ocean, the beach is, is great. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade uh, North Texas as a home any day. Your, your old PR guy, Rab Shickley, we were talking about how media friendly you were. You always made it a priority. He said you you even would speak to the media on game day, which is almost unheard of for a goalie. Why, why was that important to you? Well, I don't think it was, you know, necessarily important. If, if, if I had the choice and it didn't, and either choice, uh, you know, mended the, the, the equal results, I probably would to talk to the media just because it was easier. But uh, it goes back to what I said uh, before, just about, um, what my job entailed. And I think, you know, being a professional athlete, being on a team, if, if, if talking to the media was best for the organization, then you got to do it. Um, and if I can't do my job by talking at, to the media at 11, 15 in the morning, come seven o'clock, then I probably have bigger problems personally uh, handling it. But uh, I, I, you know, a lot, a lot of it for me, Sully stems back to university of Michigan, just understanding the bigger picture of a program an institution, something that really matters to you. And so uh, if, if, if I thought it was a favorable light to, to talk to the media or um, I just wanted to do it and, you know, people need a soundbite and I can give one, you know, pretty, pretty easy and honestly um, and not really affect my game that night. Then I was, uh, I was down for it, but uh, right. you, a lot of goalies a little, we're a little bit quirky and some management didn't want, the goalies talking on game day and not if they let me do it i said i wouldn't so i think uh i think shicky still owes me a few <laughs> the uh you were also known as a notorious practical joker in your stars days and and uh and rob told me a story of a time when when a couple of your teammates got a hold of your uh, your room key while you were out to dinner as a little payback tell us what happened that that uh, that night well, I, I can't tell you what led to my practical joke to uh, to to get them to come back at uh, my my roommate Brandon Morrow and I, and, and Brandon was just uh, innocent on on the occasion. He was pretty upset when it happened, but uh, it really wasn't a big deal. Uh, there was something done during during a few years earlier called the Buffalo Job, and we were in San Jose, and uh, you know it's in the first couple of years, so I didn't know anything about the Buffalo Job, <clears throat> and so uh, Brandon and I actually went to a practice. Um, and we came back from practice. It was probably only six, seven of us young guys on the ice, maybe an older guy too that weren't playing. And we came back and it was still sun, sun was still out. And so I walked in the room, Brendan was standing downstairs. I had to drop something off from practice. And uh, I remember calling him on our, our, our brand new cell phones. We thought we were pretty cool back in the day. And, and he looks and he, and I call him, I'm like, you gotta come up here. And uh, I told him what happened. So when I walked in the hotel room, uh, the blinds were drawn, which I don't recall that being done. And it was just, pitch black and I went to hit the light switch nothing turned on and I made my way over uh without touching a thing which I thought was a little bit odd too all the way to the window and uh opened the blinds I turned around to look and there was absolutely nothing left in our hotel room and when I say absolutely nothing Sally I mean absolutely nothing every every light was unscrewed every screw that was in the wall was unscrewed and you know some of these armoires in these older hotels like how heavy they were 
And the only thing laying on the ground was two robes that were in the closet that were now where the beds were, the bed frames, pictures, mirrors, you name it, all stuffed into the bathroom. And uh, I remember I couldn't get two inches inside the bathroom. When I looked in there. It was all stuffed in there. I told Brennan he was so mad because he had nothing to do with it. Uh, we technically didn't know who did it, but uh, we had an idea. So uh, it was now known as the San Jose job and victims one and two, mostly me, was uh, Moro and I. So it was, we, we, we thought we got them back a little bit of dinner. We made them pay, but uh, not like the surprise you, on my you, face you, when I opened the You're going to name names on, oh, the, yeah. on the culprits? Yeah. Well, I was Joe Neuendijk and uh, Jamie Langenbrunner, but there's no way uh, I've seen Joe and Jamie in the gym. There's no way these two guys were pushing around that furniture themselves. So <laughs> I, I don't know who the other culprits really were on the San Jose job, but uh, we had to like kind of put our tail between our legs and get on the bus and, and uh, figure out ways to get them back. And we had to talk to them for two days. We thought that was a lot. We really liked those guys. We had a great, really tight team, but uh, we, we did play a lot of jokes on each other over the years. And that was a pretty infamous one. We got to leave it there, uh, Marty. Continued success to the, to the Dallas Stars Foundation. Appreciate all you're doing. But before we let you go, I just want to point out your beloved top-seeded Wolverines are in the same bracket as Monica's beloved Longhorns. So, Monica, I don't know if you if you want to, you know, talk yep. about a wager or get some points or something for Marty. But there could they, you could be on a collision course with the Longhorns. Well, um, absolutely, Sully and Marty. I'm a little bit of a prankster myself, so. Uh, you know, if the bracket plays out and uh, we're playing one another, you could very well expect something to show up on your doorstep in your office here uh, mm. when you get back from vacation. So just just saying, go go horns. All right. Well, if you know my address, we got problems. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's public access somewhere out there, but I hope it's going to be a great tournament. Um, you know, Big Ten's been great to us, and I'm really proud of Joan Howard and the basketball team and watching the Longhorns being down here in Texas. Uh, I, I hope that matchup does happen. It, it, it'll, it'll be a good, good one. But, uh, uh, you know, we could put a little dinner at Moxie's, okay. uh, you know, if you want on that one. Uh, it's a great little hockey bar. It's Canadian. Uh, it's got good food. Uh, we could put a wager on it when the, when the time comes. But, hey, guys, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk hockey, uh, talk pranks, and most importantly, talk about the great community which we live and trying to make a difference. The Dallas Stars Foundation has been uh, uh, something really special to me, and it's going to continue to grow with everybody's success. So any chance I can get to talk about it, it's really humbling. But we do a lot of great work. So thank you guys for the chat, for the chance. Hey, thanks thank for you. the time, Marty. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Wow, Sully, that mic drop was a goal in one. Now, Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events, whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches. Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. We now welcome Sandy Cross to the mic drop. Sandy is the Chief People Officer of the PGA of America, which will soon be relocating its headquarters to Frisco. I've had the privilege of working with Sandy for the past six years or so as part of my consulting life. So, so this is fun for me, but our listeners are also in for a real treat. Thanks for joining us, Sandy. Absolutely, Kevin. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on. So please, let's, for the benefit of our, of our audience, let's take a minute for you to define the mission of the PGA of America and how the association is different from the PGA Tour. Sure. I'm glad you asked that question because it comes up a lot and there's often confusion between the PGA of America and the PGA Tour. While we are close partners and we collaborate in the industry, we are uniquely different. The PGA of America is a professional trade association. We have over 28,000 men and women PGA professionals. These are individuals who are coaching and teaching and managing the game and business of golf uh, across this country and in some international locations as well. So we really exist to serve our members and grow participation in the sport of golf. We also own and operate some major championships, which I'm hoping we'll get a chance to talk to during the podcast. But separately, we, relative to the PGA Tour, to your question, they're more focused on the weekly tournaments uh, for the touring professionals. Uh, there are six, I believe, uh, men's professional tours around the globe that the PGA Tour operates on a regular basis. 
And of course, uh, the new development, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into in a minute, will be home of the Northern Texas section. So the, the association is divided up into, into regions where these, these great men and women PGA professionals do so many good works, not only to, to teach people the game and the coach, but also in their, in their communities. What, what's a, what, what should the people know about the, the, the typical PGA uh, professional? PGA professionals, these are individuals who are deeply committed to the sport of golf as well as the business of golf. And golf is big business. In the United States alone on an annual basis, it's $84 billion a year industry. So our men and women PGA professionals have a love of the game, a passion for the game. A lot of them are very high caliber players as well, but they're focused on bringing that love of the game to other individuals so they can love it too and experience the personal and professional joys of the game as I like to call it. Uh, so they're deeply dedicated to bringing others along on that golf journey and, and enjoying the game really for a lifetime. It's a sport, Kevin, as, as you all know, that is for individuals from all backgrounds, all identities and truly all abilities as well. You know, oftentimes we see the really high caliber athletes and golfers on television, but any age and stage and again, ability of individual can participate in the sport and enjoy the sport. And our PGA professionals are, are the ones that are that tangible connection to the game uh, for individuals everywhere. Go to pga.coach if you want to find a, uh, a local coach in, in your area to help you get going in the game. So walk us through what the new PGA Frisco headquarters is a lot more to it than just the PGA's uh, office headquarters. Walk exactly. us through what, what's happening there. Exactly. It sure is going to be much more than our global headquarters uh, come first quarter of next year when that, when that facility opens. It's going to be this incredible and expansive golf destination uh, central to the United States, really in a great location. But we'll have two championship caliber golf courses. Uh, but again, individuals of all abilities will be able to play them. We will also have a uh, short course, which will be a 10-hole experience. That's going to be a lot of fun. There will be our coaching facility, an education facility, a player development facility. There'll be an entire retail experience, dining outlets, retail options. We are also partnered with Omni Hotels, and they are going to have an expansive resort property, convention center, spa, etc on the PGA Frisco campus. So it's gonna be really, really exciting. And we're gonna host a tremendous portfolio of championships to showcase uh, the sport to a global audience, really. And how will the local community, even non-golfers, benefit from PGA Frisco being here? There's so many ways, Kevin, that I think the community is going to benefit. Um, and it's funny, you, you mentioned non-golfers. I actually like to say future golfers because we believe that there can be a golfer in everyone. And that's really the heart of the PJ Frisco campus. We want future golfers to come out and just walk around, take it all in, enjoy it. But to answer your question more specifically, there's going to be tremendous impact on not only the city of Frisco, but the greater Dallas, uh, North Texas market from an economic standpoint, particularly when we bring our championships to that campus. And there'll be a tremendous amount of employment opportunities, not only with the PJ of America, but relative to our championships. When those championships are hosted there, there are a whole series of job opportunities and, and roles that we and our key vendors need to fill. So there'll be a, a significant employment opportunity piece relative to the campus as well. And I touched on it earlier, it's, it's going to be a place to learn and play and enjoy the sport and really immerse oneself as deeply as they may want to uh, within the sport. So Sandy, I, you mentioned future golfer. I'm a past golfer and I think I need to become a future golfer again. So uh, I need to get back out there on, on the course. But you mentioned a lot of uh, benefits of being here in, in Dallas and Frisco in the North Texas area. What really went into that decision? Uh, I'm sure you had other locations that you were considering. Uh, to What went into that PGA's decision to relocate here? 
We did consider a variety of locations and Frisco and North Texas, Dallas, very quickly rose to the top of our consideration set. You know, as we thought about a destination and a market that would be a great place to live and work and play and learn, not only for our employees, but for our PGA members, our partners, our leaders, and future golfers like you, it, it really just nailed it on every front. And we think about individuals at every age and stage of, of learning, we believe there can be deep connectivity uh, to the sport of golf. Obviously the location uh, from a geographic standpoint is very central within the country. Uh, a lot of great airport access for domestic and global uh, travel. That makes a lot of sense for our PGA professionals as well as our employees. So that was really a draw. You know, and also as we looked at uh, Frisco's commitment to being kind of sports city USA, we wanted to be a part of that. And, and we believe we're, we're already becoming a part of that. So that's an exciting vision. And those are some of the things that really jumped off uh, the, the page for us when we looked at a variety of options. Well, we're definitely glad you're here. Um... So I want to, I'm going to talk about uh, you personally now. You've had uh, quite the journey. Uh, volleyball player at the University of Buffalo. Uh, you didn't play golf growing up. You started in a temporary position in the PGA uh, more than 20 years ago, and now you're the chief people officer. Um, I also teach a class at uh, SMU, and I get a, a lot of questions of what advice can somebody uh, give me about how to get a start uh, uh, for a career path in sports, lessons that you've learned along the way. So can you expand upon that a little bit and give uh, maybe some of my students and other listeners an idea of kind of what they need to do or next steps? Sure, I would love to. And thanks for asking about my story because I do think it's, it's a bit unique. And as you touched on, I don't come from a golf background and I wasn't exposed to the sport growing up. I was exposed to a lot of other sports, but not to golf. And while I played volleyball intercollegiately and I worked in the athletic department at the University of Buffalo for my work study, and I went to graduate school for a master's in sport management, I did not have golf on my radar as a career path. And I stumbled into it actually through an employment agency. I took a 90 day uh, temporary job. It was kind of a side gig with the PJ of America. Uh, I was just, Kind of a gap between two opportunities and it blossomed into, into this tremendous career. And one of the things that was really beneficial to my growth and my ability to move up, up in the organization and around the organization is that while, you know, I, I kept my head down and I think I did some really good work, but I also at the same time kind of kept my head up and my eyes open for opportunities beyond what I was you know, immediately focused on. So to elaborate on that a little bit more, many years starting out at the PJ of America, I was in our business development group. I was focusing on activating our coveted corporate partners, making sure we were delivering on the promise of what we had committed to them. Then I had an opportunity to move into the sales side, bringing in new partners and new business. And that, because I had built those relationships, and I, I really emphasize that to your students, the importance of building relationships. Because I had built those inside the golf industry as well as beyond the golf industry, I was asked to move over to our player development side of the business and spearhead our connecting with her strategic initiative. We wanted to bring more women into the sport of golf and retain them in, the, in, in golf. And that work in the, in the gender-centric space opened my eyes to the broader world of diversity and inclusion. So I was able to bridge into managing that for the PJ of America. And then the subsequent bridge was the broader people focus, where I still oversee diversity and inclusion, but I also care for on a daily basis our people through our uh, human resources and people resources operation. So really would just encourage students to look for those opportunities for relationship building, uh, building those bridges between opportunities because they, they come in unique ways. And a lot of people think I specifically charted my career path to wind up in this position I'm in now, but it wasn't that way at all. It was really connecting the dots along the way and keeping my eyes and ears open for opportunities. 
Yep, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, different opportunities open up, and it's definitely about your network and uh, being open to many different ideas and people's ideas. And it kind of goes into my next question. You mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, what are your priorities and goals there uh, at the PGA? Our grand vision is to create a game, a workforce, and a golf industry supply chain that mirror America. You know, right now, if you look at some of the demographics of golf in terms of who plays the sport, who works in the business, and who's participating in and benefiting from the supply chain, it's still a pretty homogenous group, uh, especially from a gender and a race and ethnicity standpoint. And we recognize that we have to evolve who participates in the, the expanse of the golf industry if we're going to be able to attract new customers and future golfers to this game. So we've got to reflect what America looks like or if we're going to not only sustain the sport, but also grow the sport and grow the business. So we're really focused in those areas, uh, growth of the game on the player side through programs like PGA Junior League or PGA Hope for our, for our veterans. And on the uh, career development side, we have an initiative called PGA Works where we're trying to evolve the composition the workforce. So we've created some clear pathways for talent from diverse backgrounds to come into the golf industry and really develop a career in it. And those pathways include internships and fellowships and career exploration events, entry-level employment opportunities. And again, building those relationships, connecting those dots for talent who aspire to work in the industry. And then on the supply chain side, I mentioned earlier that Golf is an $84 billion a year business in this country alone. And if you think about what percentage of the goods and services being procured in the golf industry supply chain are being procured through local and diverse owned small businesses. It could be minority owned, women owned, LGBT owned, veteran owned, service disabled owned. So many different categories that we wanna broaden that funnel, invite in, new suppliers, new talent, and new players to the game. So that's where we are focused across those three buckets. Well, you definitely touched on a few, uh, the job opportunity side of things. Uh, you know, obviously with the effects of the pandemic and, and people out looking for jobs and the PGA moving here, what types of jobs will be available? When will they be available? We get a lot of questions on how can people apply for, for jobs that may come up? So we're just starting to increase our hiring. We have a few jobs posted right now for our PJ of America corporate roles, headquarters roles, if you will. And those can be found at careers.pgahq.com. We post all of our jobs there. I also encourage individuals to follow PGA of America on LinkedIn because we post all of our jobs there as well. And I want to encourage people to Think about the PJ of America and the business of golf like any other business. We have all of the roles that you would anticipate any corporation would have. Could be finance, technology, marketing, communications, our membership department, education, PGA Reach, which is our charitable and philanthropic foundation, human resources, just all of those functions exist at the PJ of America. And it's very important for people to know that you don't necessarily have to have a golf background, golf knowledge, or golf experience for a lot of the roles. And oftentimes there's a misperception about that. People think, oh, I need to be a golfer, have golf knowledge, skill, or playing ability, but not necessarily. And I, I think I'm a great example of that. I play the game now and I love the game, but starting out, I didn't, I didn't come from that background. So I don't want that to dissuade anybody if they, they don't think they come from a back, uh, background that's golf relevant. Well, Sandy, it's been great having you on. Give us a quick snapshot on how many championships are gonna be coming to PGA Frisco over the years. There are going to be 26 over, I believe seven years, uh, 2023 through 2029 that would be. And our major championships, our KPMG Women's PGA Championship, our KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship, and the PGA Championship itself, those are gonna be really exciting. We also have major championships that our PGA member professionals compete in, like the PGA Professional Championship, 
our PGA Cup, which is the Ryder Cup version for our PGA member professionals. We're also going to be hosting numerous times the PGA Junior League National Championship, which I think is going to be an incredible showcase. So really excited about that portfolio that's coming. And it's, I touched on earlier, but it's going to be on a global stage. And we have these tremendous media partners that help us share this story and share this game around the globe uh, on television, on digital assets and the like. Well, Sandy, thanks so much for joining us. I know you've already moved from Florida to North Texas. Welcome to the area. Hope you like it. I know you're a fitness fanatic. Hopefully you've figured out your workout routine here. Uh, and, and welcome to the area. Best of luck for continued success with the PGA of America. And uh, we'll have you on again sometime too. We'll talk about the PGA Championship. It's a Ryder Cup year. Lots of exciting things happening. So thanks again, Sandy Cross. And I think I saw Marcus already filling out an application on, online. So you'll be, you'll be hearing from, <laughs> from him. Uh, Thank thanks you again. So you bet. Thank you, Sandy. And over to Rachel. You're welcome. Looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Try having a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation for spring break. The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown, within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com slash Dallas for the best offers and plan your post-quarantine staycation today. Because why? Big wins happen here. Thanks, Rachel. And welcome to the mic drop, Mark Folliwell, voice of the Mavericks since 2001, first on radio and since 2005 on TV. I should say the Emmy award-winning TV voice of the Mavericks, where he's now joined by the great Derek Harper and Skin Wade. Always enjoy the broadcast. Started at the ticket. Anybody remember the Ender? That was uh, that was an early show of Marks, and of course with a whole pile of ticket tickers, uh, and 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 also uh, Mark recently. When I first met Mark, I believe it was at the Home Interiors and Gifts practice facility where the Mavericks used to practice, and Mark was still in school, and I, if I'm not mistaken, was an accounting major. And, and I remember saying to Mark, with that set of pipes you have, what are you doing studying accounting? And I was so <laughs> thrilled to, to, to learn recently. I didn't know you didn't finish school in those days, but it's so cool that you recently spent three years. And last year, with all you've accomplished in broadcasting, you finished your degree. Do I have that right, Mark? Uh, you do have that right. And good morning, Sully. It's great to talk to you. Uh, yes, I did do that. And as a matter of fact, I, I took so many classes online and it was going so well and Things are a little different right now at universities all across the country, having to offer a lot more classes via remote means or, or you know, online means because of the pandemic. So uh, there's a lot of history classes at North Texas that I wouldn't normally be able to take. So I'm taking enough hours this year to get a BA in history as well. And then we'll see what grad school brings after that. So. You're going to try to work some of that material into the uh, broadcast? Uh, you never know. It's, uh, it certainly is a possibility for sure. You had a line the other night when uh, on on the broadcast when Luca did that crazy step back move on, on DeJounte Murray of the Spurs, uh, Harp made a reference to putting the brakes on. And you said, I hope Luca's got a long-term warranty on those brake pads. What is it like for you to just to, to, to call the action night after night after night, watching him do things that are just seemingly in, in, impossible? Well, I think what's so unique about it is that he's so young and achieving the things that he's achieving at such a tender age and you know still when it comes to the NBA Sully relatively inexperienced you have so many years around the game and you certainly understand that for young players the NBA is a very unforgiving environment there are a lot of growing pains and that's not to say that Luca hasn't experienced some of those as well but for him to do what he's doing at such a young age to be accomplishing all of these statistical barriers and feats and milestones that put him in the same uh, statistical categories and sentences as Oscar Robinson, uh, Oscar Robertson, uh, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, uh, players of that nature. Uh, the fact that he continues to do things like that, and there are many other greats uh, that he's standing alongside right now as well. That's just a few that just come to mind off the top of my head. So. And he does it with this joyful spirit on the court, yeah, which also it's very infectious for sure. Makes it fun. So, what, what give us a little bit of a uh, sense of what it's been like for you, Harp and Skin to do these games rem remotely. Do you, do you feel you're able to do the, the, the Emmy award-winning great job that you've done for so many years from 
the practice court at, at uh, American Airlines Center when the team is on the road? Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, I think that uh, the important thing about it is it is our job to do that. And, you know, regardless of what the challenges are and the difficult situations are, uh, you know, at this stage and given all that's going on in the world, nobody wants to hear about how the sports announcer is having a hard time at it. So, you know, our job is to make the best of the situation. I feel like we're trying to do that in every way possible. Uh, the home games, you know, we're not on the floor anymore, as we have been in the past. Sully, we're at the top of the lower bowl. So that's a little bit different. The calling the road games off a monitor, as we did in the bubble when the team was in Orlando at the conclusion of last season, and as we're doing for all of the road games this year, certainly poses its challenges. In my own personal case, I'm used to it from having done that with a lot of soccer over the course of the past nine or 10 years. And I think that for Harp, Skin, and I, you know, we've all adapted to it. The, the biggest challenge to it is creating your own energy whenever you're in a, uh, a studio environment, rather in the building where there's going to be natural energy of the competition and even if, what few fans are there. And I think everybody's done the best they can possibly do with that under the circumstances. So, you know, we're, we're going to keep on keeping on with it. You mentioned World Cup. You've got a lot of experience in, in the international soccer realm. Uh, my, my, uh, my partner here, Monica, on the, on the mic drop, of course, is spending uh, the vast majority of her professional life uh, working on bringing the World Cup back to Dallas in 2026. Uh, say a few words about that. You think Dallas would be, I know you think Dallas would be a great location for it, but, but why? Well, for a number of reasons. I mean, let's uh, let's start with, first of all, a world-class facility in AT&T Stadium in Arlington. I mean, that's going to be number one on the list in terms of hosting group stage matches, but also hosting uh, big-time knockout stage matches and potentially a semifinal or even a final of a World Cup. So that's first and foremost uh, what makes the Dallas-Fort Worth area a great candidate. But we have Tremendous transportation infrastructure as well, world-class airport that has uh, a lot of flights and a lot of access. Uh, you know, we're talking about an incredibly diverse population here that is going to have soccer fans from all over the world who are living here right now. So I think you've got a great draw of potential fans that are here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we're just generally very passionate about soccer. We always have been here in North Texas going all the way back to the Dallas Tornado days of the North American Soccer League. There's just a tremendous investment uh, with the club that I do games for, FC Dallas, but with, with other clubs all over the Metroplex in terms of the youth of youth soccer. And we're continuing to grow the game in that regard. So for all of those reasons, I think the North Texas area would be a fantastic host for not just group stage games, but obviously, uh, you know, we hope big knockout stage games as well. And we've got the experience of it. I thought that uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area did a great job when we hosted many, many matches at the Cotton Bowl in the 1994 World Cup as well. Well, Mark, uh, this is Monica. I couldn't have said it any better, and I want to thank you for uh, your help up to this point and your continued help as we continue through this bid process, and I think you hit on a lot of key points. Uh, 1994 left a huge legacy for soccer here in America, and, and spe spe specifically Dallas as well. Um, the growth of soccer here on the youth side has been amazing, and uh, I really look forward to Yes, hosting that those finals and those knockout stages and hosting a lot of matches and other soccer uh, here in the Metroplex as well. And I'm really looking forward to what can that legacy be after 2026 for the sport of soccer and here in our community. So thank you for, for your help up to this point. Got Mark it, for put, sure. Mark, Monica's putting that testimonial right on the website, so look for that. Uh, <laughs> he's already later. on so, the website, Sully. I mean, he's taped some stuff for us. He's out there promoting, uh, but we're definitely going to use this as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, this is our "What Are You Downloading?" segment. Last week, yeah. your friend and and Dallas Cowboys uh, counterpart Brad Sham suggested we download, among other things, the film "The Father," which, after he said it, was nominated for an Academy Award. So, there's some pressure on you here to to come up with a, a timely, uh, you know, big big time uh, suggestion like that. So. So let us let, let us in on your uh, what's inside your your streaming world right now, or what are you downloading? What are you streaming? Man, I'm going to disappoint you guys, but I, I hope that I'm going to be able to recover uh, in in good fashion here. So I'm just not much of a download or streaming guy. Uh, I'm still pretty old school in terms of not being a cord cutter, and so I'm watching sports, news, and old reruns of Mash when it comes to my television watching, but. My, my entertainment away from television watching, I did bring to the table rather than what I'm downloading. Uh, something that old school entertainment wise, I've got my books. So I, I'm, I'm gonna show you a few of the books that I've read over the course of the last year and a half, if that's okay. Because books Perfect. are just as good as downloading, right? 
Yes. Absolutely. So uh, obviously something that is is germane to these times, a very dystopian novel by Ray Bradbury, Fahrenheit 451. I read that for, across, uh, for class at North Texas in the last year. Uh, our buddy Brian Damaris gave me this book by Eric Larson called Isaac Storm. That's about the, the Galveston hurricane in 1900. Uh, being a running and fitness enthusiast, I've read Getting Physical, The Rise of Fitness Culture in America. I read that last summer. Uh, this book about Jackie Robinson called Baseball's Great Experiment was something that I read last summer as well. Uh, I asked for this because I read an excerpt from it in an anthropology class at North Texas, The Land of Open Graves by Jason DeLeon, who's a UCLA anthropologist. This focuses on uh, migration and particularly about the, the very difficult path that uh, migrants from Mexico and Central America travel through the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. Uh, I just, I'm about to finish this book called Hopi Runners, which is about uh, Hopi uh, indigenous runners that uh, ran and competed in the Olympics. Louis Tewaniba won a silver medal for, for the United States at the marathon in the 1912 Olympics. Uh, and I asked for these new, these two books. I haven't started reading them yet, but The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And then this book called Bitter Fruit, the story of the American coup in Guatemala. It's about a, a CIA-backed coup of the Guatemalan government in the late 1940s that led to uh, many, many years of civil war in that particular country. So those are the, those are things that I'm reading right now that's probably not nearly as interesting as things that I'm downloading, but uh, that's what I do whenever I'm not watching news, sports, or old episodes of MASH. That is the real deal. We always knew you were a thoughtful guy, Mark, and a smart guy. And this this rounds out, for, I think, for our listeners, a little bit more about you personally. So so very cool. Thanks. Thanks for that. We're giving Monica the week off on the What Are You Downloading segment. She's still living off of the, the uh, laurels of impressing Brad Sham last week with her, uh, her uh, Furby app to watch her dog on camera, only on her lunch break, never during working hours. Uh, my download this week, Mark, is a, and Monica, is a melancholy one. It's the, it's the ESPN 30 for 30 short about Sean Bradley that came mm. out in 2014. It's called Posterized which is unflattering, but it tells the story of, you know, if you're one of those people who thought that Sean uh, uh, did not live up to the billing of being the number two pick in the draft, uh, and it, but he, he blocked an awful lot of shots. He had a long career, eight plus years with the Mavericks. So we got to know him here. I remember the day he arrived in town after being acquired uh, in, a, in a trade with New Jersey. Uh, and the, the film, the short film uh, posterized talks about Sean Bradley, the person. And it is really an extraordinary tale of what he's like. He actually refused to cooperate many times with the filmmaker, Andrew Jenks, and ultimately uh, agreed to do it and was, uh, ended up being glad that he did. And so I would encourage people, as we're all thinking about Sean Bradley, he was involved in a, back in January, we just learned yesterday was involved in a, in a uh, horrible accident. He was on his bike and it got run over from behind by, by a car. And, um, and has become paralyzed. The Mavericks put out statements yesterday from Mark Cuban and Donnie Nelson calling him a Maverick for life and talking about his grit and determination. And anybody who's ever met Sean knows what a really, just what a good person is. I actually ran into him of, at, of all places, the airport in Dublin, Ireland a couple of years ago and got to reconnect with him for about 15 minutes. This is a really good person. And my heart goes out to him. Uh, he'll, he will be in my prayers uh, going forward for the fight that he has ahead of him. So, so kind of a sad, uh, a sad download uh, this week, but I think it's worth uh, thinking about Sean Bradley with the tough fight that he has, he has in, in front of him. If, if so, I may say so, so Mark, quickly, Sully, if I may jump in and say, yeah. you know, when, when I first started doing radio with the Mavs and actually I had a year, I spent about half of the season filling in on the radio broadcast. And that was a pretty, you know, I said this on Twitter yesterday, it was a pretty intimidating situation for somebody who was 29 years old at the time. And I'll never forget that Sean, you know, I, I feel like maybe he sensed that a little bit and he was so nice and so encouraging and so accommodating and always willing, you know, when, when he knows that win or lose, I've got to come get sound bites to be able to use for the radio broadcast. He was always very accommodating in that regard and just was was such a truly, genuinely nice man. And it was heartbreaking to read what we read about it yesterday. And I hope that Sean knows that, you know, not just everybody who's on this podcast right now, but everybody who's part of uh, MFFL Nation uh, supports him and is thinking of him and is praying for him. And I hope he feels all of those good vibes and that positive energy that's being sent his way right now. 
Well said. He is just such a, a, a good a good person. Uh, but we're, we're all we're all thinking about him, and I appreciate your thoughts on that, Mark. On behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Chris Amelia, Marcus Carr, our showrunner Tony Fay. Thanks to Mark Followell, Marty Turco, and Sandy Cross from the PGA of America for joining us. And until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>